Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, remain standing a little bit longer. And if you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 78. And last week we had a great service with our back to school service. And we hope all the children had a great time back at school. And uh, I know my boys, they kind of act like they don't want to go back to school, but they're always excited that first week. And uh, I pray that all families had a good time. I pray for the kids that went to school that there weren't too many tears. Maybe from mum mostly, I guess. <laughs> Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 to 8. And this is a time, February, when we focus on family. And David writes this. He says, give ear, O my people. He says, listen up. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears. To the words of my mouth. I'm going to speak. I'm going to open my mouth in a parable. And I will utter dark sayings of old. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. He's, he says, I'm going to be repeating some things that our fathers have told us. I'm going to be repeating some things that our forefathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come. The praises of the Lord. Everyone say the praises of the Lord. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength. In other words, and speaking of the strength of God and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known. Everyone say make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. So I'm speaking this not just for the hearers, but there are children in the womb of those that are hearing. And there are children locked up in the people that are hearing, but not just for you, but for the ones that are going to come. The ones who will arise, who should arise and declare them to their children. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandment. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. David says, we ought to speak of the praises of God. We ought to speak of the goodness of God. We ought to tell the children about God's strength and the wonderful works that He has done. That the generation that I'm speaking to may know and that future generations may know. And I want to speak on this title today. Testify to the children. Testify to the children. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, let faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we, a church family, gather here today, Lord, we need to receive from your word. Give us something, Lord God, to sustain us. Give us something to direct our path and our feet, Lord God. Lord, reprove, rebuke, instruct in righteousness, encourage, Lord. Help us to leave this place different than we came in. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. You may be seated. Testify to the children. Testify to the children. I understand all too well that family can be a challenging topic to talk about in church anywhere if I was to go around this uh, church today and just ask you to talk about family 
or even if I was to go around and say, how do you feel? Just at the mention of the word family, I think that our experiences would be diverse. Even just to mention the word father, and probably one of the hardest services to have at church is our Father's Day service. It's always a great day. But the word father is not an emotionally neutral word. It's a word that can, uh, can bring up wonderful, great memories, or it could be a word that brings up sadness or disappointment. And the word mother, brother, sister, when we think about those things, there are emotions, happiness, maybe sadness, or maybe the mention of family, the word that comes to mind is chaos, or maybe disappointment, regret, maybe great memories, maybe bad memories. But today, like, like David, I want to speak not just to those who are here, but I want to speak to the future. I want to speak about the future, because the echo of our lives goes beyond just the day that we pass out of this world. Everyone say the echo. You see, what we do now, the way we live now, what we say now, our example now, it is going to affect the generations to come. Not just the immediate generation, but to the generations after the current generation. Because we are passing down more than just DNA. Our actions, our example, our lifestyle will affect our children now and will affect the future generations. Testify to the children. And so when we talk about family, especially here in Australia, we, 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 we think like Westerners. We think of our immediate family, mum, dad, and, the, and brothers and sisters. When we talk about family, we think about those that are living in our house. But most of the world doesn't think about family like that. Most of the people in this church from other cultures don't think about family like that. They don't just think about their marriage and their kids or maybe their brothers and sisters. When you talk about family in a lot of other cultures, most cultures around the world, you're talking about grandparents, great-grandparents. You're talking about fathers, children, and you're talking about you know, ancestors, and you're talking about future generations. That's what it means in most cultures to talk about family. The reality is today that we are here today, and we are what we are today because of our parents and because of our grandparents and because of our great-grandparents. Because the great-grandparents taught your grandparents, taught your parents, taught you. We are what we are today because of the previous generations. And, and further on, soon or right now, you are somebody's previous generation. So as much as we can say, I am today who I am because of the generations that I have gone before, that have gone before, today you are going to be somebody's previous generation as well. And so who we are today is a great part to what the previous generation have invested into us. I am in church today because of what the previous generation, my grandparents, my parents have invested into me. The church today, this building, everything that we have here and our church is because of the influence and of the previous generations. I say this often because it's a great picture. But when you see a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. We stand on the shoulders of those 
who have gone before. So when we talk about family, there's one thing we cannot neglect, and that is the generation gap. We call it generation gap. Now, generation gap, let me say from the very outset, that generation gap is not a biblical concept at all. It's not something that we see in the Bible. In fact, the Bible consistently speaks of generation to generation. And so much of the Scripture, the Word of God, is focused on the truth being passed from generation to generation. We see in Bible times that there was an emphasis on ensuring a continuous path, not a gap. Everyone say gap. So we see in the Word of God, Psalm chapter 71 says, I will declare your power to the next generation. I will declare your might to all who are to come. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to testify it. Psalm 145 says that one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. You see, generation gap is something we invented. It's not a biblical concept. And so testify to the children. We think that our testimony is just our words. But our testimony or the testimony of our life is so much more than just the words that we speak. The testimony of our life is our example, our actions, our influence, what we say, of course, how we live. All of those things are our testimony. Testify to the children. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, I believe it's going to be on the screen. It says, when I call to remembrance, Paul says, the unfeigned faith or that genuine faith. When, when I remember the genuine faith, that sincere faith that is in you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and, my, and, and thy mother Eunice. And Timothy, I'm persuaded that that same faith is in you. You see, Timothy... You're, you're a great man of God, but you're a turtle on a fence post. You didn't get there by your, yourself. That genuine, sincere faith that you've got, it was passed by Grandmother Lois. It was passed by your mother Eunice. You see, something was passed to Timothy through the generations. It came from Lois. It, it came from Eunice. And who you are today, Timothy, is a product of the generations that have gone before. One man once said, example is not the main thing in, in, in influencing others. Example is the only thing. You see, we can try as much as we want to try and instruct our kids with our words and give them Bible studies and, and all of these things. And all of that is very good. But the thing that's going to stick with them more than anything else is the example that you showed them. All generations are in great need of each other. Because to complete the work of God, this needs to go from generation to generation to generation to generation. You see, we can't afford there to be a generation gap. We can't afford to skip a generation. From the very outset, this gospel, this knowledge and relationship with God was never meant to experience a gap. It is from generation to generation. And how do we do that? We testify to the children. The term generation gap, interesting, was first used in 1960. It was due to all the children that were born from 1946 to around 1964. How many people here, raise your hand if you were born between 1946 and 1964. Do we know what we call this generation? 
Well, it's a bit of a mix, but baby boomers. After World War II, you know, all the men came home from war. They obviously missed their wives, and lots of children were born. I'll leave it at that. Although there had been gaps in previous generations, there seemed to be a, a bigger gap begin to form. Of course, there had been generations previously, but it became more evident in the 20th century because before that time, society wasn't that mobile. I mean, we we're just starting to get, you know, cars and things like that. Society wasn't very mobile, and you found that young people were typically living with all of their extended family. They did everything together. They all lived in the same house. They all worshipped in the same church. A lot of times they all worked on the same farm or they all worked in the same business. And yes, there would have been some gaps, of course. But in the, in the, in the 20th century, it became more evident. And, and there's always been a gap between, I guess, values and, and tastes and customs and clothing and all that sort of stuff. Even a gap in trying to understand the next generation. And we don't want to speak about the technological gap, do we? That we feel, you know, we can't even keep up with technology these days. If you want to know how to use this thing, give it to a four-year-old. Some of the gaps are insurmountable. I, even in my best effort, on my best day, trying the hardest I can, I won't be able to bridge that gap with the next generation. They're just a different kind in some ways. If I invited the youth, come around young people to my house, I've got a wardrobe full of clothes. I want you to come and take some clothes. I'm sure if the young people from church, Brother Maxwell, came and looked in my wardrobe, they'd be pretty disappointed. I'd be like, you know, guys, see this suit over here? Cost me $400. It's barely worn. Those shoes, they're good shoes, man. They're just from anywhere. They're good shoes. And as respectfully as they could, they would decline. No matter how much I paid for it. I said, oh, pastor, it's too baggy. The cut is an old cut. Uh, but, but I paid a lot of money. For, you know, you realize that knitted vest is worth a lot of money. And they're just going to say, well, thank you, pastor, but not for me. As respectfully as they can, I'm sure. Thanks, but no thanks. And for those of you who have had your parents pass on and you go in and my parents uh, recently have, my grandparents have passed away. So my parents have been helping collect, you know, all the household of furniture and things like that. And my grandmother had so many clothes and they had so many things. And you go into your parents' house and they've got a lifetime of things that they've collected, all valuable. And a lot of time what the children do, as valuable and has, as, some as sentimental as they are. You can't keep it all. And so it normally just ends up, the whole house of valuable things just ends up at a garage sale or in an op shop and things like that. You see, what they deemed worthy of spending their lives, of spending their fortunes, only for the next generation. They didn't really appreciate it. Maybe after all this, you're thinking now, well, pastor, is there anything that I can give the next generation? I mean, they're not going to want my clothes, not going to want my furniture, not going to want my shoes. Pastor, is there anything I can give the next generation? Pastor, it needs to be timeless, obviously. 
It must be valuable, obviously. It, it must be relevant. It can't be outdated. What is something in my life that can be treasured and valued that I can give to the next generation? What can I pass? What is something precious, valued, and timeless that it's not dated? It's not just going to end up at trash and treasure down at Woden there. David gave us the answer. In Psalm chapter 78, he said, I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come. Here it is. This is what you can pass on to the next generation. The praises of the Lord. You ought to praise God to your children. You ought to testify to your children. You ought to tell your children how God strengthened you, how God worked on your behalf. All the wonderful works that He has done, this is what you can do. It's relevant. It's not outdated. You can testify to the children. And I'm not saying you have to go in all the gory details of what your life was like before you came to Jesus, but you ought to tell your children, I was not always the person that I am today. But the grace of God found me in my time of need. I, I was not always a, a, a nice person. I was not always a, a friendly person. I was not always a good person. But thanks be to God who picked me up out of the gutter, took me from the guttermost to the uttermost. I'm telling you, you ought to tell that to your children. You ought to praise God to your children. Tell your children what God has done in your life. Tell him how he strengthened you. It says in verse 6 that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. You see, it's not just our children, but what we deposit in our children, they're going to deposit into their children, and they're going to deposit into their children. You see, the generations to come. You see, when you tell your testimony, when you testify in your life example, you are testifying, listen to me, you are testifying to unborn generations. When my grandfather first heard the gospel message on a train from a train preacher, he was testifying, of course, my dad would come into Pentecost, but I wasn't even born yet. And that legacy has been passed down to me. From my grandfather to my dad to me to my boys. You see, when you testify to your children, you are testifying to unborn generations. As an older generation, yes, the younger generation around us, they have, there are children in them that haven't been born yet. You teach the generation that is alive so you can teach the generations that are not even born. Testify. What is it? Declare. For what purpose? To encourage, to strengthen, to inspire faith. That's why we do it. To give others something to hold on to when they go through something similar. You see, our children are going to go through things the same as us. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They're going to go through experiences just like you. And you had a relationship with God. You could pray. And you know what? Even though they may have drifted away from God, they're going to go through that tough time and they're going to remember. You know what? Mom and dad told me when they went through this, they cried out to God and God heard them and God delivered them. I want to tell somebody, testify to the children. Don't keep your mouth silent. Don't let them find it their own way. You ought to testify. 
You see, you don't have to be a pastor or a theologian. You don't have to be a social media influencer to share your testimony. You can do it. In John chapter 9, the story is there about the blind man being healed on the Sabbath. And when the Pharisees brought the blind man to question, they're like, what's going on here? Nobody's meant to perform miracles, miracle or perform any work on the Sabbath. He said, you know what the blind man said? He said, well, I don't care what you got to say. I know you might not like it. I, might, I know you might not agree with it. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. So nobody can argue with your testimony. You see, the Pharisees did everything they could to discredit the miracle that Jesus performed. And I want to tell you, the world is doing everything they can to discredit God to discredit Christianity, but you know what? They can't argue with your testimony. Once I was lost, but now I am found. I don't know what you think about it, but once I was blind, but now I can see. Amen. And so the word testimony is derived from a Hebrew word, UWD, which means do again, do again. You see, you give your, when you give your testimony, you are saying, if God did it then, he can do it again. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I might preach on this a bit later on, maybe in the next couple of weeks. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20 says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you testify of Jesus to somebody, you are prophesying into their life what God can do in their life. When you begin to testify of what Jesus has done in your life, you are prophesying that Jesus can do the same in their life. You see, prophecy is not just about foretelling. Prophecy is also forthtelling. I'm prophesying even as I preach because as I preach the gospel, I am prophesying of salvation. As I preach the gospel, I'm prophesying of healing. You see, that is so important. The testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. So David is saying, he's saying this, testify to the children that they might set their hope in God, not in the world, but they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And last Sunday, we heard about Jonadab. Jonadab heard the words of the prophets. He heard the word of the prophets. And you know what? He told it to his family. And 250 years later, Jonadab's family was still obedient, obedient and they were still faithful. Why? Because Jonadab deposited something into their life. He heard what the prophet said and he said, I'm going to make sure my kids hear that as well. I don't want there to be a generation gap. I'm going, to, I'm going to speak it to my kids. And 250 years later, Jonadab's family are still standing. They survived the destruction. They survived the captivity of Israel. Why? Because Jonadab heard and Jonadab testified. We read in Jeremiah 35. Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts of Israel, Because you obeyed the commandment of your of Jonadab your father, you have kept all his precepts and you have done all that he commanded you. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. There's going to be someone before the throne forever. You see, generation to generation. 
Don't let there be a generation gap. The world says, oh, there's got to be a generation gap. But there's no such thing in the Bible. This, this gospel, this message, the relationship with God is to go from generation to generation. Joshua, when he replaced Moses, God said the same thing three times. Be strong and of good courage. Everyone say, be strong. And everyone say, and be of good courage. Let me hear everybody say it. Be strong and of good courage. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Moses. Thank you very much, God. We're going to be strong and of good courage. But how? He goes on in 1 John verse 8. I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screen. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Okay? This is how we're going to be strong and of good courage. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate. Another word for meditate is the word ruminate. You shall meditate on it day and night. I'm going to explain rumination in a second. That you may observe to do all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And so get into the word of God. I told you this world is changing, but the word of God is forever settled. And we've got to speak the words of God to the next generation. Everything, is, is, everything that can be moved is moving. Everything that can be shaken is shaking. But the word of God is a solid foundation. You can build your life on it, and you can build your family's life on it. And the generations to come to be built on the word of God. So I thought about this word meditate. Meditate. And I'm not... It's not some sort of new age sort of thing. I mean, the new age of taking it, and it means, you know, sit there with your legs crossed and all that sort of stuff. But meditate means to ruminate. Now, if you know anything about cows, cows are ruminants. They ruminate. I'm going to explain that. What a cow does is the cow goes, Stephen, and goes eat some grass, gets its belly full, goes, lays down in the shade. It's a good idea. After a good meal, but then what well, the cow is not done with that yet. Then later it will go and bring up the cud. Everyone say cud. It's a yucky word. It probably is pretty yucky too, cud. But go have a lay down and then bring up the cud. Chew it a little bit more. You see, that's called rumination. They're ruminating. They chew it again because each time they do it, they get something more out of it. They ruminate. They have a good feed, go lay down. We come to church, we get a good feed, we go home. But you know what? You ought to chew the cud sometimes. You ought to bring it up again. Go home, have lunch, have a rest, do what you want to do. But then go, come on, chew the cud. Because this word of God is so rich. Every time you chew it, every time you ruminate, there's more you can get out of it. Don't be happy with what you just get at church. Amen? But go home and ruminate on it. Chew on it and apply it to your life. Think about it. Process it. You see, if you want to be strong and of good courage, you want to be spiritually healthy, meditate and ruminate on the Scriptures. And you see, once you give the Word to your children, they can't get away from it because of rumination. You give it to them. They chew on it. They might only chew on it for a little while. But then time is going to come. They're going to hit a hard time in their life. They're going to be able to bring up and chew the cut again. 
They're going to remember the words they learned in Sunday school. They're going to remember the prayers that you prayed on the way to school. They're going to remember the scriptures that you read in, in your Bible devotion. And they're going to read the, remember the Bible stories. They're going to remember even what pastor preached on a Sunday. They're going to be able to bring it up again and chew on it and get something more out of it. That's what I found as a, I grew up in church all my life. I've been chewing on this a long time, and I'm still getting something out of it. Amen. We ought to ruminate. If you're going to be strong and of good courage, you've got to meditate on the Word of God. Chew on it. Ruminate on it. Keep bringing it. Even the Scriptures you think you know everything about, God's not done yet. There's more you can get out of it. Somebody say amen. And so once we get the Word of God into our children, they can't get away from it. They've got something they can bring up. Even in their darkest hour, maybe in a back alley somewhere, doing the wrong thing, I don't know. But it's still there. Testify to your children so they've got some cud they can chew on. Give them something to chew on. One day, the 19th, in the 19th century, Queen, Queen Victoria of England asked the Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, he asked the question, Mr. Prime Minister, what evidence can you give to me of the existence of God? And the Prime Minister of England at that time said, the Jew, your majesty, that is all the evidence you need to understand and believe the existence of God. Why, Why the Jew? You see, well, in, in you know, 586 BC, they were deported to Babylon. They were in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. They were brutally massacred and dispersed by the, the Romans, 70 AD. But even after all of the captivity and the persecution and even attempts to, to exterminate the Jews by genocide, they have clung to their faith. They still believe. Their customs, even if you go to Israel, those ancient customs and those, those things are still there. Even 2,000 years, two and a half thousand years of wandering, they return to the land promised by their ancestors. A new nation. It was prophesied that Israel would be dispersed. And then their nation would be formed again. And in 1948, that nation began again. The return of the Jewish people, just as was promised by Abraham. That's a miracle. And you know, a lot of sociologists are, are amazed by the Jews. Because when they study their cultures and their people groups and how they have kept their customs and all of that, how does this small group of people, they're relatively small, Insignificant even, you may say. 400 years, bondage for 400 years. There, there would have been enough to finish uh, an entire people. Every time the Jews were written off, they rose to the surface. Even, and this is just a, a, a beside thing, you look at the number of Nobel Prizes that have been won by Jewish people. The wealth they have. They survived. They are blessed. You see, you want to know why they understood the importance of generational transfer. It was, it was the cornerstone of what they believed. This, the cornerstone was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. But they don't leave it there. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in your heart. So don't just get it in your head, get it in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto thy children. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you're walking around, when you're lying down, when you're rising up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes. And you shall write them upon the doorposts of the house. There it is. And even on the gates of the house. 
So when your kids go out the door, they see it. When they come in the door, they see it. And there's the answer for the sociologists. How a culture can be so rich and so continuing is because they believe in testifying to the children. Why should we be any different? Psalm 145, verse 3 and 4. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation, here it is, shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. As parents today, as grandparents, as future parents, this is our responsibility. And so you didn't come to church to get homework, but I'm going to give you some homework. Parents and grandparents, testify to your children. Don't tell them all the gory details. Don't tell them all the stuff they ought not to hear. But just tell them what God has done in your life. Tell him of the healings that God has done. Tell him of the deliverance. Tell him of your salvation story. Tell them your testimony. You see, if you don't transfer it to the next generation, here it is. A generation can rise up that doesn't even know the Lord. And what will they do? They will serve something else. Because we're all worshipers. We're all, we're all worshiping something. Hey, some, some of us just, some people just worship themselves. But they're going to find something to worship. They're going to find something to pour their time, their talent, and their treasure in, and their whole life. They're going to find something to worship. They will go and they will serve idols. They will put other things before God. We read in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, and, all, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there rose another generation after them which knew not the Lord and didn't even know the works that God had done for Israel. Why? Because they didn't testify to the children. It's not just what I believe. It's not just what I say, but I must transfer it to my children. Genesis 9 verse 28. We go right back to Genesis. We read about this man Noah. and we, we think of Noah so fondly because what he did. Built an ark, saved his family. Man of faith, great preacher. He was building with one hand and preaching with the other says in Genesis 9 verse 28, And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. Wow! And after, after his greatest achievement, Brother Musica, he went on to live another 350 years. Well, such a great man, what did he do? I want to know. I mean, in the early part of his life, he built an ark, he preached, he did all those great things, he was a mighty man. He lived another 350 years after the ark. What did he do? I'm all ears, I want to hear. See, we know a lot about the first part of Noah's life, but the Bible doesn't tell us anything about the last part of his life. 350 years, Noah, that's pretty good. Three lifetimes, three lifetimes after the flood. We know what he did before the flood. Yeah, he spent 120 years building an ark and getting the animals on board. He spent 40 days and 40 nights, maybe probably 100 days altogether by the time the flood had resided. He's building altars and all those things. That's great. Wow. Noah, that's incredible. But what did you do in the 350 years after? We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. You know what he did like a lot of people do? He built an ark for the saving of his house. But after his house was saved, he did nothing. And Noah began to be an husband. 
Genesis 9, verse, he went and planted himself a garden. He planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent. Noah! He got another 350 years to live. What? I mean, Noah, you are the only person on planet Earth that has talked to God. What are you going to do? 350 years. You're the only person on earth that knows how to build an altar and to offer sacrifices, Noah. What are you doing? He's the only man on the planet that understands the covenant that God has made with the world. What's he do? He lays on his bed drunk. But Noah, you're going to live another 350 years. And here's the tragedy. He never connects with the next generation. He was so consumed with his life in the past and he had no vision for the future. What is the future? Well, you see what the future was. The future was the Tower of Babel. They were so disconnected from the God that no one knew that they began to build a tower You see, Noah is is the only one that can do it. It's locked up inside of him. He's talked to God. He builds altars. He knows the covenant. It's all locked up inside of him. But he doesn't connect it and testify it to the next generation. Noah, you ought to be testifying, not laying on your bed drunk. David's trying to change that mindset. You see, the generations of the Old Testament ended up being so pathetic that by the time we get to the first generation of the New Testament, what is it called? A wicked and perverse generation. <laughs> A sinful generation. Peter gets so bold when he's preaching. He says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. They've lost their way. They're untoward. Nothing got connected. I said, well, pastor, I'm hearing you. If I tell you, parents, it's locked up inside of you. It's our responsibility to testify to the children. You want to leave them a legacy? Yeah, I hope you'll leave them some money. But you leave them money, they're going to spend it. You leave them your car, they probably don't want it. They're going to trade it in and buy a new one. You leave them the farm, they'll sell it. They'll probably subdivide it and build, build houses and make money. You leave them your wardrobe, yep, like me. They just end up in an op shop somewhere. What are you going to leave them, David? Well, David, I'm going I'm to tell them. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to give them the one thing that doesn't date. I'm going to give them the one thing that's always going to be relevant. David says, I'm going to tell them the wonderful works of God in my life. I'm going to transfer to the next generation. I'm going to tell them the power of God. I'm going to tell them how God saved our family, how God saved me from addiction. I'm going to tell how marvelous God is. I'm going to tell God them how good God is. Let's all stand in this place. Testify to the children. And on this first Family service of family month. I cannot emphasize enough. As parents, it is our responsibility to parent and to show our children the way. Oh, I'll just leave them to find it themselves. Well, they're going to have a whole lot of heartache you could have spared them from if you would have just testified to the children.
I know it doesn't mean just because you tell your kids and you even tell them your testimony. It doesn't mean that they're always going to obey it. And they're always going to be perfect and you're never going to have a problem. But you know what? If you do that, at least they'll have something to chew on. Son, I know you're not living right. But I know I've given you something to chew on. I know you're going to go lay down in the grass and do not do much. I know you're going to get distracted. But hey, it's going to come back up again and you can get something more out of it. Testify to the children. You see, when Samson was brought out of prison, and I heard a preacher preach this, he preached it wrong. But when Samson was brought out of prison, the Bible says that he was led by a lad. Everyone say, a young boy. Samson says to the young boy, as he's brought out of prison, they're going to make a mockery of him in front of the big crowds and you know, chain him up to those, to those big pylons. He says to the young boy, he says, hey, he's blind, he says, would you show me where I can put my hands on the pillars that are holding up this building? And we've got a picture right here of two generations walking together. Together. Everyone say together. Two generations walking together. Samson had power, but he couldn't see. The little boy had vision but no power. And that's why we need every generation in this church. We walk together. We're going to transfer it to the next generation. Take one generation with power. Take another generation with vision. The two generations connected. Listen, let me tell you, we can reach our city. We can reach uh, the, the region. We can make an impact in this world. Let's walk together as generations. Young people, old people walking together. So I love about this church. Yeah, we're multicultural, but we're also multi-generational. Up on this platform on a Sunday, we've got people from 15 years old right up to 60 years old. Somebody say, praise the Lord. That's beautiful. Testify to the children. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands, parents, across this place. Everybody, everybody is part of this church family. You might not have biological children here today. But even the way you worship is a testimony to the next generation. One day they're going to say, you know, I'll never forget the way Sister Sue Sarantos prayed. She saw God move on her behalf and God can move for me. Your life is a testament. Testify to the children. Testify to the unborn generations to come. Testify of His wondrous works. Testify of His strength. I tell you people, we've got something to testify. Lord Jesus, we love you. Oh yes, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let God just begin to speak and move in this place. I want to say to somebody today, it's not too late. It's not too late. You can, you can get things back on track. It's not too late. Go to your children if you have to and apologize to them and say, I haven't told you the greatest thing that you need to know yet. I know young, I know child, I know son, I've given you money, but I haven't given you the most valuable thing yet. I know daughter, I do, I'd do anything for you, but I still haven't given you the most important thing. 
I want to tell you, once I was lost, but now I am found. That's what you could give your kids. It's not going to end up in a secondhand store. It's always going to be relevant. They can always ruminate on it. Give it, speak it, testify to the children. Oh, yes, I believe it with all my heart. Let there not be a generation gap. 